Welcome to Meadowbrook Church, loving Jesus by loving people. For more information about who we are, find us online at www.meadowbrook.ca. Thanks, worship team. Take your Bibles and meet me in Genesis chapter 1. If you need a Bible, there's a Bible on the pew in front of you. It's page 2 in that Bible, so it's as easy as it gets in finding the passage today. It's basically right off the bat. We're jumping in right to the beginning of the Word of God. And we are in week 2 of a series that we have called Authentic Becoming Who We Really Are. And we are talking about uh, who has God made us to be and how do we live out of that more and more. We have put together a study guide to go with it. And these are available at the Hub for $5. And it is a way of taking the Sunday morning teaching and going deeper with it. There's a lot more scripture in here. There's a lot more digging. There's a lot more practical application. And so the Sunday morning teaching, uh, I hope, will be solid. The study guide will just help you dig in more and get a lot more out of it. And so you can pick one of those up at the Hub if you haven't gotten those yet. All right, profound statement to start off the day. You guys don't know this. You're about to learn something. Ready? Children often look like their parents. Did you know? Did you know that? Pretty much from the second our daughter Kaylee was born, people would say, well, she looks like you. Did you? Does anyone ever tell you that she looks just like you? It's like just everybody all the time, always. Just, we never hear the end of it. And it's actually not that profound. You know why? Because her body actually came out of my body in part, and, and it's just DNA. It's not magical. It's just the way it works, that parents often, or children often, look like their parents. And so I just wanted to uh, highlight this on the screen for a little bit. I found a few celebrities who had some pictures with their kids uh, just to show us what this looks like. So here is actress Demi Moore with her daughter. Uh, so that's pretty uncanny. And they, I mean, they're trying to look like each other, obviously, but children often look like their parents. Here is uh, Clint Eastwood's son, which, especially if you remember, young Clint Eastwood, not super old, grizzled, cranky Clint Eastwood. Uh, yeah, there is a son who looks an awful lot like his father. Uh, the next one actually really blew me away. This is actress Reese Witherspoon and her daughter. Um, and people in the comments under this picture were just going, well, for a second, I actually didn't know which one was which. It just, it's remarkable. Uh, and again, not crazy, because children often look like their parents. Parents pass their genetics and their DNA onto their children, and so children can look like their parents. It's not strange when that happens. As we go through uh, this series, we kicked it off last week with a bit of an introduction. One of the things we talked about is that uh, because of our sin, because we have both sinned and been sinned, against because we carry pain and because we carry shame and because we carry hurt uh, all of us walk around covering that up with something that uh, theologians and Christian counselors have called the false self. The false self is the person that we put on in order to just get by in life. It's inevitable. Uh, and we're going to talk more about it as we go through the series. But it is the person that we put on just to get by, just to, to try and cover up our sin, cover up our hurt, cover up our shame, uh, make it work. We, we, we just put on someone who's not really who we are. And what we're going to be unpacking through the series is how can and we uh, just become more comfortable taking some of these masks off and actually being who God has created us to be, becoming who we really are. And so one of the ways we can deal with the false self is by kind of attacking and 
pointing it out, and we're going to do that in the series a little bit. But one of the ways that we can deal with it as well is rather than focusing on the false, is just focusing on the truth and just having a real good hard look at the truth about who God says we are. And that is what we are doing today. So it is not that profound a statement to say that children often look like their parents. We know that already. Where we're going today is this statement. You look like your heavenly father who created you. You have a family resemblance to the God who made you. Let's take a look at our text. We're in Genesis chapter 1, and we're starting in verse 26. God has been creating. He has created the sun, the moon, the stars, the sky, the land, the water, the fish, the birds, the plants, the animals. He's coming to the end of the creation process, starting in verse 26. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. So we are going right back to the beginning. And part of, uh, as we go through this series, we're trying to understand who we are and who God has made us to be. And as we do that, uh, it really forces us to ask the question, well, why are we here? Let's, it's not just about understanding myself better and how I tick, like that will be a part of it, but it's why did God make us? We are forced to go all the way back to the beginning. So we're headed all the way back to the garden, uh, looking at how we were created and why we were created, and that will help us understand more about who we are. And this key idea uh, that you know volumes have been written on for 2,000 years, uh, the Latin term is imago Dei, and that's Latin for the image of God. Just a key foundational understanding for us in knowing who we are is knowing about the imago Dei, that we were made in the image of God that humanity was created in the image of God. And there's a lot of different uh, applications to it, and we're not going to go into the specifics too deep today. Uh, but, you know, just the basic idea is that we reflect something of the nature of God as people. Uh, we reflect that. We were created in his image. He is our father. He has made us, and children look like their fathers. There is something about humanity that reflects who God is. We are made in his image. And so part of that are things like uh, God is emotional, and so we have emotions. We reflect that. God is intellectual. We have an intellect, so we reflect that. God is spiritual, and we have a spiritual side. We reflect that. God is creative, and humanity is creative, so we reflect that. There are a number of ways where we look like God, and, and we are a reflection of who he is. Now, we do not reflect him perfectly because we have sinned. And we will talk about that as we go through today as well. We have fallen into sin, but just because we have done that does not mean that we are no longer made in the image of God. We were created to reflect him, and we do not do that perfectly. But one of my seminary professors used to say, the image of God in us has been defaced, but not erased. 
It has been defaced, but not erased. If we had a painting here and we defaced it, we painted on it and covered it all up, we could make a mess of it, but the painting is still there. Underneath all of the mess, the, the painting is still there. So the image of God in us has been defaced. It has not been erased. And it is something that applies to every human being on earth. And so whether you are male or female, whatever nationality or ethnicity you are, uh, wherever you have come from in this world, whatever your social status, whether you are a Christian or not, all of us are equal in the sense of every human on earth was created in the image of God. Every single one of us. It is the great equalizer and the great leveler. We were all made in God's image. And because of that, we are all worthy to be treated with dignity, to be treated with respect as one who is created in God's image and inherently valuable to God. It starts there, understanding that. And it's going to help us look at people differently because that person who drives you crazy was made in the image of God. And so they're worthy of respect for that reason. That person who might be your enemy, they were made in the image of God. It's why the Bible says we're not allowed to kill one another because to kill someone else is to kill an image bearer of God. It's why the Bible says we're not supposed to slander one another because to slander someone is to slander one who bears the image of God and who is worthy of a lot better than that for the sole reason that they reflect God's image and they are worthy of respect for that reason. Turn to the person next to you and say, you're godlike. You can say back, sort of. You have not lost the image of God in you because you have sinned. You have sinned, and we will talk about that as well. But you have not lost the image of God in you. Nobody has. We are made in the image of God. And as we look at people differently, it's going to be helpful even as we navigate tough stuff, as we are looking at, you know, where there are Syrian refugees coming and fleeing from the war, and some people want to let them into Canada, and some, some people don't want to let them into Canada. There's a lot to wrestle through there for sure, but we start with these are people who are made in the image of of God, and they are worthy of dignity and respect because of that. As we are navigating tough questions about, uh, you know, how do we navigate LGBT stuff, and as a church we have wrestled through that. Some of you are wrestling through that very personally in your families, and these are big questions, and they are tough questions, but we can start with the premise that all people are made in the image of God. And whether we are walking close to God or whether we are far from God, whether we are wallowing in sin or whether we are moving towards holiness, it doesn't change the fact that we're made in his image. And because of that, uh, we are inherently loved and valued by him. We start there with every person on earth. Not that everything we do reflects the image of God uh, because we sin, but we are made in his image. And so we want to start there. And what's important for us to note as well, we're the only beings created in God's image. We are the only ones in all of the created order uh, who are said to be made in God's image. Verse 27 says, God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And, and so both genders equally reflecting the image of God. And at this point in the Genesis story, it's not that men are up here and women are down here. Men and women together are reflecting the image of God together. And that's important to note. And as we look at this whole idea, I mean, racism is indefensible on any grounds, but especially from a biblical perspective, 
perspective. Every time I hear Christians spout racist stuff, I see you need to go back to the garden and you need to get back to just the basic that whatever race you're annoyed at, they are image bearers of God. So you need to knock off whatever it is that you're doing. Sexism is not defensible on any grounds, but from the very beginning, in the image of God, male and female were created. So whatever your feelings are on the opposite gender, they are image bearers of God and they are worthy of dignity and respect for that reason alone because there is something in them that that reflects the likeness of the God who created us all. So we are made in his image. We've talked about uh, some of the implications of that. One of them is just in morality. We reflect as human beings something of the morality of God. And again, we are far from perfect in our sinfulness. However, if you look at different cultures around the world in different times, there's certainly exceptions to this, but there is a general kind of morality that is across the board where whatever time you go to, whatever place you go to, most people groups have determined things like murder is bad, right? Rape is bad. Honesty is good. Helping others is good. And evolution has a really hard time explaining morality. Evolution has a really hard time figuring that out. Why, if all we did was kind of grow up and, and evolve into what we are, then why is it that all these people groups separated by oceans and separated by language and separated by culture often have a very similar sense of what is right and what is wrong, what is good and what is evil, what is lawful and what is breaking the law? Uh, evolution has a hard time explaining that because theoretically they all should have kind of gone in different directions just based on wherever they were at. But if we say no, because we are made in the image of God, we have something of his sense of good and bad, his sense of right and wrong just wired into us, that explains it a whole lot better. And so we understand that there is something of this in every human on earth that's so key to getting our heads around. And the psalmist is blown away by this. In Psalm chapter 8, verses 3 to 5, he's a worship song to the Lord. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them. You've made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. So the psalmist is having a moment, and maybe you've had a similar type moment. You see, it's one of those nights you see all the stars, right? You can see the galaxies, they're shooting stars, or you see the mountain, or you see the ocean, or you see Lake Erie, I guess. Uh, but you see something in creation that just stirs you up, and the psalmist is saying, I see it all, and I'm looking at your majesty, I'm looking at your wonder, and man, and then you made me, right? In the midst of all of this, you made me. In the midst of all of this glorious stuff, you're like, what, are, what is man that you're mindful of us? The universe is bigger than we can possibly fathom. It's apparently constantly expanding. There's all sorts of crazy stuff going on out there on a level we can't comprehend. And then there's little old me that God knit together in his mother's womb. Like, who am I that you would think of me with everything that's going on? Man, you, you care for us. You watch over us. You, you feed us. You've made us a little lower than the angels. Like, we don't have the power that angels have, right? Angels have authority that we don't have. They have power that we don't have. Uh, they function on a level that we don't have. Uh, but even though we are a little lower than the angels, we are the ones crowned with glory and honor. We are the ones that God has, has crowned with glory and honor. You are the crown jewel of his creation. Amen. And that's something like, I mean, that can feel like bragging, right? You can say, well, that just sounds like bragging. It's like, no, that sounds like scripture. I'm sorry. That sounds like the word of God. 
and, and yeah, I guess we could get arrogant about it, but we're just trying to engage with truth as we're trying to figure out who we really are, pull down the false self more and more. Who you really are is someone who is created in the image of God, crowned with glory and honor by him. You are the prize jewel of what he created, of everything that's there. That's just truth, and we want that truth to sink in. The problem is, of course, we don't always feel that great. We don't always feel crowned with glory and honor. We don't always feel that good. But we know God is good, right? Like, we, we always acknowledge that. We say, God is good, and all the time, and we sing songs about it. It is a major theme in our worship, and, and everything that we believe the Scripture testifies over and over and over again to the goodness of God. If you start telling your stories and I start telling my stories about God's goodness, we will be here a long time, right? We have these stories of where God answered this prayer, or God provided that money, or God healed this body, or God showed up in this situation, that God is good. We have seen his goodness. We have experienced his goodness. We share his goodness. We worship his goodness. We are thankful for his goodness. And here is part of the theory of what I'm sharing this morning, is that God is good, and children often look like their parents as one who is created in the image of God. There is something of God's goodness just inherently there. We have inherited some of his nature as reflectors of the image of God. Again, marred by sin, for sure, tarnished, but there is just something of his goodness in us. The Bible puts it this way in Ephesians 2.10, For we are God's handiwork. And some translations say we are God's artistry. Some translations say we are God's masterpiece. We are God's work of art, basically, that he has crafted together, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do, that we have been created by a good God. We were created good, and we were created to do good. And, and that is part of understanding just who we are. Um, not just that, we were blessed and released to rule right from the beginning. We were not just to be worshipers. We often talk about why were we created. We were created to worship. Of course we were created to worship. That's not all we were created for. We were blessed and released to rule. Starting in verse 29, I'm not going to read all of this, but God blessed them, Adam and Eve, and said to them, be fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, every living creature that moves on the ground. And so we get another snapshot here. Oh, this is why we're here. We're not just here to worship. That's part of it. We're not just here to walk with God and have fellowship with him. That's part of it. God created us to be in communion with him. But beyond that, we were created to do something. We were created to rule. We were created to watch over this earth. We were created to, to steward this well. And part of that for us as Christians is to say we do have an obligation to the environment. We have an obligation to take care of this planet because God gave us this planet and said, you guys take care of that. So part of good stewardship is what can I do to help steward this planet well? And so we were created to rule. Scripture says Satan came and stole it away. He stole away that rulership, and he tried to uh, keep that for himself. But the Bible says that when Jesus died and he rose again, Jesus took it back. At the end of Matthew's gospel, Jesus says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. It's mine now. So let's go and let's fill the earth with the gospel. Let's go and share the good news of what Jesus has done. And as God created us originally to rule, that is what is being restored. 2 Timothy 2.12 says, If we endure, we will also reign with him. We are being re restored to that place where we are ruling over creation with him. 
And so part of living authentically is understanding I'm made in the image of God. He created me to do good things. He has created me to worship him, to walk with him, and to rule with him. But it also goes a step farther just for all of us, not just as humanity, but as individuals to say, God, why did you create me? Like, why am I here? Not just as a part of the human race made in your image, meant to reflect your image, but what, what is it about me? What is my purpose here? And that's maybe the great question that most people on earth struggle with, is just the existential, why am I here? Why do I exist? Uh, why is this existence happening? And that's a big question. It's a tough question. Here's the thing. God has the answer to that question for your life. God has the answer. He knows why he created you very well. And so it starts with just asking, Lord, why did you create me? Why am I here? What is my purpose here on this earth? And take some time to think on that question and to be quiet with that question and just see what comes to mind. We can make discernment a really hard work, uh, but the Holy Spirit is closer than our next breath. He's in there and he's speaking. And so to just take some time to be quiet before the Lord, ask the question, Lord, why am I here? Maybe write down anything that comes to mind. Don't overthink it. Don't, don't try to make it into a big hard work that you have to do. Check it with somebody if you're not sure or ask somebody to help you through it. But part of living authentically is owning who he has created us to be. And there is a fine line maybe between being confident and being arrogant. That's something that we probably all have to navigate a little bit. But there is nothing dishonoring or is there is nothing arrogant in simply knowing this is who I am. The Apostle Paul starts every letter with, I'm an apostle called to preach the gospel. And you don't go, how arrogant is that guy? You go, that's a guy who knows who he is. That's a guy who knows what his purpose is. That's a guy who is walking in it. And we all have a purpose. We were all created for a purpose. Scripture says you were knit together in your mother's womb by the hands of a creator God who loves you and who has a purpose for you. And so part of living authentically is just to ask the question then, what is my purpose? Why am I here? If we don't know, we can ask. And if we haven't asked, we probably should and get, start to get some answers to that question. It's also important to note we were made very good. Not just good, we were very good. Uh, when God is creating everything on the different days of creation, it says he created the sun and the moon, the stars, and it was good. He created the land and the water, and he said it was good. He created the fish and the birds, and he said they were good. He created the animals and the plants. He said they were good. And then he gets to humanity. He gets to mankind. He creates Adam and Eve. And then the Bible says in verse 31, God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. We were not just created good, we're the very good. We are the, the end, the, the great big punctuation mark at the end of God's process that, okay, now that humanity is here, now this is very good. This is the end of the best of what God was putting together. And so God is good, and you were made good. You were made very good. As an image bearer of God, he created you to be very, very good. Now, some of you, this message has been driving you crazy because you're tired of me talking about the goodness so much because you're saying, well, what about sin? What about the fact that even if we were created good, it went off the rails really quick? Even if we were created good, we are not good anymore. Uh, we grew up in church and we were told how not good we were all the time, right? Like that's part of uh, what a lot of us had in our church experience, that no, we are far from good. God is good. We will always acknowledge that God is good, but we are not good at all. There's nothing about us that is good. And there are some scriptures that can point us this way. 
Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? All our righteous acts are like filthy rags. Isaiah 64, 6. Psalm 51, 5, surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. For I know the good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. Romans 7, 18, we touched on that verse last week. There are others as well. Um, so there are scriptures there that we have really emphasized about how not good we are. Uh, and we're always a little worried in church that we don't want to be soft on sin. And so it's really easy to emphasize all the ways that Scripture says we're not good. And yet those aren't the only Scriptures that are in there. And uh, I shared a bit in the first service. There was a, a man in the 5th century named Augustine. And he was a theologian, he was a pastor, he was a teacher. And there's probably no single person who has influenced the way we think more than him. Uh, he had a, a knack for teaching, he had a knack for explaining things, and, uh, and so any idea of, you know, original sin, that we were all born sinful, comes from Augustine's work, and, uh, and the punishment of Jesus on the cross, and different things. And Augustine was a lawyer, and he tended to have a very kind of law-based approach to God's Word. And Augustine was also, I've read enough of his work to, to get a bit of a sense, and just as a pastor, you're always kind of looking to the person, uh, not just what they're saying, but who's the person and what's going on there. And if you read Augustine's autobiography, he is uh, talking about his life, and he was far from God, and he has this kind of miraculous conversion story that's incredible. But as he talks about his life and all the terrible things that he did, as he talks about his sin, and he's kind of teasing, like there was a turning point when I kind of hit rock bottom, and so you're kind of waiting as you read his story of like just you know just kind of the the gossipy side of you of like oh i wonder what his rock bottom was i wonder what he did and as he is sharing and then sort of repeating he gets closer and he finally tells us the story of what it was that just showed him his worthlessness to the point where he turned to jesus and you know you're thinking did you murder somebody what did you do that was so terrible you, you you're carrying the weight of this like decades later and he says, when I was a teenager, me and my friends went into the neighbor's yard and stole some pears from the tree. And I went, well, not to brag, but I did way worse stuff when I was a teenager. And it's not that that's not sin, and you would never, ever say, hey, if that was the turning point that brought you to Jesus, then, then good, right? The Holy Spirit, you, you stole. That's bad. But the way he talks about it and the way he carries it, the way he talks about other things— you go, man, Augustine, you might just have a bit of an issue with shame. Like, you might just have a bit of a guilt complex. And it might have influenced some of the things that you taught, which w can happen to any of us and does. And so I just bring that up to say, Augustine has influenced all of us and, and took a very black and white kind of legal view of sin. And so anytime we sing a song or anytime you read a book or anytime you hear a preacher talking about like debts canceled uh, or, you know, ransom or anything, that's, that's Augustinian thought. That's, that's his influence that has carried down over the centuries. And it's not that it's wrong, it's just incomplete. Uh, it is one way to look at some scriptures, but the problem with this sort of view is if the emphasis is always you're just a worthless sinner, you're a worthless sinner, you're a worthless sinner, you were born sinful, uh, you know, you're just the worst, and aren't you lucky that there was a Savior? You go, well, again, there is truth there. Yes, we are lucky. We are blessed that we were saved. We could not save ourselves. We chose our sin. Our sin has taken us from God. We couldn't save ourselves, and so a Savior has come. That is true. It's just not the whole truth. And I've been in ministry for 17 years, and I just watched the weight of the shame that even devout long-term Christians carry 
over the sin problem of just the stuff that, even stuff that's gone on decades ago, even stuff that's gone on that they know is forgiven intellectually, but just the weight of you're worthless, you're worthless, you're worthless, you, you're just completely stuck, you're completely messing up, and that's just who you are. You are just a sinner, that's who you are. And what I'm throwing out there today is actually that's not the whole story of who we are. We are sinners undeniably, but that's incomplete, uh, I think. And so, um, this has influenced the Western church. There are other branches of the church, and I just think it's always good for us to read things that, you know, that we're not normally exposed to or read things even that we disagree with just so we can get a sense of what other teachers are saying and wrestle through stuff more. But the, the Eastern branch of the church, and I really tried to find the theologian I read. I couldn't find him. I don't like to give you guys stuff without a name behind it, but I had come across an Eastern Orthodox theologian uh, when I was in school, and he was um, quoting others, and I, I really wish I had a name, so I apologize for that. But the way the Eastern branch of the church looks at the sin problem is a little bit different. They say, uh, you were created healthy. Like, you were created good, right? God in the beginning created us good. So you were created good. You have fallen sick, and the sickness is your fault, right? It's like you smoked five packs of cigarettes a day. Now you have lung cancer. So you have made bad choices. It has made you sick. The sickness is fatal. Uh, you're in trouble. There's absolutely no way for you to get out of the sickness by yourself. But Jesus has come to heal you out of this sickness and restore you back to health. Because health is what God intended for you. And so in our discussion here, it's that you are good. You were made good. You have fallen into sin, but that goodness has not been erased, and Jesus is bringing you back now to that place of health, to that place of goodness again. And it just fleshes out the, the very black and white legalistic uh, you know, thing that has dominated our, our church culture for 2,000 years. It just fleshes it out a little bit more. Because if we're walking around just feeling the worthlessness of ourselves all the time, that's not the victorious life that Paul seems to express in the New Testament. That He's acknowledging his sin. He's not wallowing in it. He's acknowledging he's a sinner, but he's not making it his identity. He is talking about breaking out of it and getting better and getting holy and getting healthy. Isaiah said the Messiah would take up our infirmities. He would carry our sorrows, that in the Eastern way of looking of things, that, yeah, we're sick. We are desperately sick. We are sick, and we can't heal ourselves. We are sick, and it's our own fault. But Jesus has come to heal us of the sickness and bring us back to the health that he created us for, to bring us back to that goodness that he made us, and as we reflect the image of God. And as we talk about uh, the universal side of sin, that everybody has sinned. That is biblical truth. We are all sinners. We have all fallen short of the goodness of God. What I struggled with, and a lot of what I grew up with, is this idea that, you know, everybody's a sinner. Everybody is worthless. There is no good in anybody. And I just went, yeah, but that, that doesn't feel true to me. That, you know, that only the Christians are good. Because I know people who aren't Christians, and they, they of course, can be a good parent. They can be a good spouse. Like, I can see goodness there. Right? We have friends and family, all of us probably, who maybe don't follow the Lord, but it doesn't mean there's no goodness in them whatsoever. They give to charity, and they help out on the PTA, and they, they do good things. And so I just struggled and wrestled for years with this idea that, uh, that had been taught so often that, you know, that we're just kind of worthless and sinners unless we come to Jesus, and then we can be good again. 
and going, that just felt incomplete to me. It wasn't, it wasn't lining up with what I was experiencing in my life. What makes more sense to me is this idea that we are all made in the image of God, Christian or not. And as we are all made in the image of God, we all have something in us that reflects God. Now, if I'm an atheist who's a good husband, that goodness does not get me to heaven, and it doesn't solve my sin problem. I still need saving. But we can acknowledge that if there's a universal sin that we have all fallen into, there is also can be a universal goodness that we see in people, not because they are earning it, but because they are made in the image of a God who is good. Are you with me? Am I making sense? And so it's just, I'm wrestling with it still. I, I have not fleshed it out. But it just continues to be a journey of trying to wrestle with the scriptures, which I adore, and the things that you see with your eyeballs, and, and you know, theology, and 2,000 years of history, and trying to put it all together. But the idea is, is that we were created good by a good God, who even in our sin has loved us and is healing us and restoring us back to goodness. And even in our sin, his grace is amazing. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, We all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory. We are ever-increasingly looking more and more like him as we walk with him. And that's something an atheist doesn't have. We are increasingly reflecting the image of God more and more. Ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Uh, my in-laws flip houses and have done it for decades and just every year pretty much they would go into a house rip it down to the studs and then rebuild it from nothing and so when they go into a house and they've helped us buy houses before you know i would walk in and say like oh i don't really like the position of this room and they'll just say well we can we can change that room we can just turn the whole thing backwards if you want the bathroom over there we can move this around and we can get everything stripped down they're not looking at all at the flooring or the cabinets or like everything can be fixed but the question they're asking is are the bones good Right? You maybe have heard that expression. Are the bones good? Is the, is the foundation good? Is the location good? Is the structure solid? So that we can do all of these renos and get everything done. My premise today is that when God created humanity, even though we fell, the bones there are good. And God is now in the process of renovating those of us who follow Jesus. And it's, it's a teardown in a lot of ways. We are being ripped apart and rebuilt. And we are being put back together so that we can reflect the image of God more and more. The image of God was defaced in us because of our sin, but not erased. The bones are good. But we are being rebuilt now so that we can more and more reflect his image with ever-increasing glory. In the book of Romans, which we were in last week, Paul is writing to the Roman church, and he unpacks a lot of really rich thoughts there and a lot of interesting, uh, fascinating teaching. And Paul hits us pretty hard on our sin. And again, we're not, when we talk about being created good, we're not minimizing our sin. Our sin is real and it is deadly. Uh, and Paul really hammers us on the sinful side of who we are. Uh, here's just a few. Romans 1.18, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Romans 2.5, But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath, when his righteous judgment will be revealed. That does not sound pleasant. Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Uh, just a few. I could have put up a dozen more. And, and he just is very clear 
that we have disobeyed, we have fallen short, we have turned away from God, and death is the end of that story when that is the case. And he makes very clear that that's the problem, and Jesus is the solution, and there is hope, and the Holy Spirit comes, and we are being restored, and we are being renewed. But to this church, who is a, a sinful church, just like the rest of us, they're not overly great people. Paul's hitting them very hard on their sin, as he could for all of us. As Paul is wrapping up his letter, this is what he says to these Christians. Romans 15, 14. I myself am convinced, my brothers and sisters, that you yourselves are full of goodness. There's goodness in you. And even as he has acknowledged the sin, and even as he has acknowledged you can't save yourself, and even as he has acknowledged that it has pulled you from God and that, that the wrath of God is coming upon the earth because of this sin, but he's saying, you know what, guys, I'm looking at you and I'm seeing the goodness that is there. And not that they themselves are, are making themselves good, but that created in the image of God, the goodness of God is there and being restored into the image of God with ever-increasing glory. The goodness is there. It's not boasting to say, hey, guys, we're good. We're good. There is goodness there. It's not perfect, but it is there. Turn to your neighbor and just say, you're good. It's a good thing to say. You yourselves are full of goodness. It's been said this way, uh, just that God doesn't make junk and that we are reflectors of this God who loved us and who put us together. We are reflection of the God who made us. God is good. We are created in the image of a good God. We are created good in his image. And even though we have sinned, we are being restored more and more into that good image that is the reflection of who he is. Come on up, worship team. We're just about done. We do have an email address here at meadowbrookquestions or questions at meadowbrook.ca, and it is uh, always open if you have questions about anything. Thanks for hanging out in this one. I know this one was a bit, uh, maybe a bit denser than we would normally jump into, but we really wanted to start here as we got things going, because if we want to know who we are as we talk about living authentically, then we need to understand who God has made us to be and start from that point. Psalm 139, verses 13 to 14, the psalmist says, You created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. And in the Psalms, I mean, David has no problem acknowledging his sinfulness either, his unworthiness. He, he's very honest about that too. But here's David saying, Hey, you knit me together in my mother's womb. I'm wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. Again, it sounds like boasting. It's like, hey, I'm, I'm pretty wonderful. And it's not that David's that great, but I'm wonderful because you made me, because you're good and you made me wonderfully. And so without skipping over our sin or making that any less, we acknowledge God is good. We are made in the image of a good God. And even in our sin, he is restoring us more and more to that goodness. Paul writes to the Romans, you are full of goodness. And part of living authentically is to live out of that confidence, to live out of that goodness, to live out of that assurance that I'm not just a worthless piece of garbage. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I am made in the image of the perfect God. And although I am far from perfect, his perfection more than makes up for it. Although I am weak, his strength is more than enough. His grace is always sufficient. And I want to live out of that sense of goodness, created good and created to do good on this earth. And we want to worship the goodness of that God before we go today. So I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet. We'll sing together and then we'll close in prayer in a couple of minutes. 
about our lives today as we think about where we're at and perhaps you've come in this week and you're living in the muck and the mire of, of who you are and your sin and 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 think sometimes man how do i do this and in order to get through life and not just get through life is to thrive through life is to keep your eyes on jesus christ and to know that we are created by him and we are loved by him and yet as we think about how we've been brought into salvation and that we've been given a gift by him as well and it's a gift from him and as we think about where we're at today even i just want to read something out of the, out of the word out of ephesians 2 it says this in chapter 2 for it is grace you have been saved through faith and this is not from yourselves it is a gift of god not by the works so that no one can boast for we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared us in advance to do. See, it's amazing we talk about this gift from God, and it's a gift from God, and it's nothing we can do to achieve it. And as we think about being good in the eyes of God, which we are, and yet we've been given a gift by Jesus, and so no man can boast because it's about Jesus in our lives. So keep your eyes on Christ. Uh, he's the reason. Uh, we come to church he's the reason we do what we do and if you're discouraged in that we want to encourage you as well by being able to come up and pray with somebody there'll be people available after service that could pray with you that can walk with you that can encourage you if you're in a space where you just need some support so people will be available after service and as people come forward to get, receive prayer visit and hang out and connect with somebody maybe somebody you've never met before we ask you to do that in the foyer and just down the hallway let's pray lord thank you for this time today and i pray lord that as we go into our week that you would guide us, give us strength, and to just be thankful for the gift you've given us, Jesus. The gift of being saved because of your grace. So thank you for that. And Lord, as we think of being workmanship and created in Christ Jesus through good works, which God has prepared us to do in advance, I pray, Lord, we lean into that because it's a gift from you. So thank you that we can't boast outside of ourselves, we can boast in you. So we're grateful for that. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a great week, Meadowbrook.